Well, this um, begins our second part of our Easter Sunday service, and I, I just always feel I need to say again, He is risen. He's risen indeed. The light of the world uh, is back amongst us, but in a, a much brighter way than He ever was before. Let me just uh, read a little section from the Gospel, and once again, you can always stop this video and uh, get your Bible and look at it for yourself. But we're in Matthew chapter 28. Verses 1 to 10. Matthew chapter 28, verses 1 to 10. I've got an old one of the Pew Bibles. It's on page 811. After the Sabbath, as the first day of the week was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And suddenly there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord, descending from heaven, came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. For fear of him, the guards shook and became as dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid. I know that you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. For he has been raised as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, he has been raised from the dead and indeed he is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him. This is my message for you. So they left the tomb quickly with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly, Jesus met them and said, Greetings! And they came to him, took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. I sometimes wonder if we haven't been sold something of a pup, uh, just as to what Christianity really is, let alone what it does. It tends to go something like, uh, I was bad, uh, but Jesus made me good. And thanks to him, when all of this is over, I get to go to heaven and be with him. It's hard to get into our mind that perhaps if you've ever believed anything like that, uh, that everything that you've believed is entirely wrong. This Resurrection Sunday, is it possible you could open your mind that if you've ever believed anything like that, that you've been entirely wrong. The world, when I think about it, really does not know why it exists. I know there's a lot of reasons that people would say they're existing, that they're here. A lot of clarity about what they're about and what they're doing. But the fact is, the truth is, and Easter's message is, 
that the world doesn't know why it exists outside of Jesus. Because what Jesus has done is secured the promise that God made when he first made all things, that it exists in order that we might be with him. We might be one with him. We might be sharing the, the huge eternal cosmic adventure as life to the full is designed to be. And this pie in the sky, when you die, you go to a better place thing, seems to suggest that everything that's here and now is, is nothing more than a mistake. But how can that be? How can the life that you and I live now be nothing more than a mistake? And you're absolutely right. If your hunch is that can't be, you're absolutely right. Because what the resurrection of Jesus has done is, as it were, put the wobbly wheel that's still attached, but it's put it on straight. And instead of us coming into a relationship with God where we get to escape here one day, what it's done is it's made possible the fullness of God to dwell in us here. It's meant that we can look at the world as God made it and we can see that the resurrected Jesus, the one who whose authority has overcome life and death, is actually at work in everything going on around us, our life and our circumstance. And what he's about is using that for his glory. Another technical way of looking at it, sadly it's technical, but thy kingdom come on earth because of the resurrection is now a possibility. I find that when Christians understand this, that they start telling stories and what the stories do is that they actually put what the Christian faith is really about together, but, it, but it's always in a story and it's always something a little bit incomplete. It's not as simple as Jesus saved me because I was bad and now I try and be good and one day I'll go to heaven. That sort of vaguely makes sense. No, it's a much richer thing. And I thought what I'd do and use this text to help me because this is about real people and real time, real places where real things happened and their hearts were filled with joy even though they were afraid. It's a New Zealand story. And uh, many people could have thought, gee, you're a bit crazy to have gone to New Zealand when this COVID-19 virus, which is uh, as big as a world war or as big as the Spanish flu. It's, it's a huge thing globally. And uh, we're in New Zealand and, and you could think you're mad to have gone. But actually, uh, you know, the day we left, um, I, I remember that the Prime Minister was saying, well, I'll be going to the football this weekend. So our first week in New Zealand was very, very much business as usual. There was something going on in China and 
it was emerging in, in European countries and there were these flare-ups and there was increasing concern. By the time we'd been in New Zealand 10 days, um, they were heading, heading for stage four lockdown. So for a country whose borders were open, tourists were everywhere, within just a mere 10 days, they were heading for a stage four lockdown. When you think of the life of the disciples and these women that we meet here, the cascading effect of the catastrophe of Jesus' life happened incredibly quickly. Inside a week, he'd gone to Jerusalem and inside a week, he was on a cross. Unbeknownst to them, sacrificing himself for the salvation, the recreation, as it were, the hope of the whole world. Anyway, there we are in New Zealand, and we were at the very bottom of the South Island, and uh, the woman in whose accommodation we were staying, she said, you're our last customers because we're closing down. My husband's frightened of the virus, and the country's locking down. So we started to head for our exit port, which was Christchurch, as soon as we possibly could. We stayed there, and it wasn't until 48 hours before you were due to fly that any of the agents or airlines would even talk to you. People were waiting 10 hours on the phone and still not getting through to their airline. Twice we actually went to airports, international airports in New Zealand, and we said, what's the situation? We were flying Air New Zealand, what's the situation? And they looked at us blankly and they went, we don't know. So clearly the airlines weren't able to tell us what was going on. And as you can imagine, I must admit, there was this sort of quiet but percolating anxiety. I wouldn't have called it fear, but anxiety. 48 hours before we were due to fly, having bookings and, and being told that this is what you should do, just wait till you're due to fly and then uh, proceed from there because you couldn't talk to airlines earlier we um, we did that and uh, just inside the 48 hour period Cheryl who checked her emails twice a day uh, received an email and we were told that the internal flight from where we were in Christchurch to Auckland where Air New Zealand flew out internationally to Perth uh, was cancelled but not only that, all internal flights inside New Zealand were now cancelled. You could not catch a domestic flight inside the country across the two islands at all. I, s I thought, what? what are we going to do? And you can feel this sense of, goodness me, this, this is feeling like a, a death. What are, what are we going to do? Are we going to be stuck here for months, perhaps? Where will we stay? What will we do? So I started uh, ringing charter airlines. You know, the small turboprop Cessnas. And, and they said, I'm sorry, we, we'd love to be able to help you, but because we're um, regarded as domestic travel, we can't fly you inside the country either. That's illegal. And then I thought... Well, there's got to be a crayfish boat or a prawn captain that'll take us across the island. 
By that time, as that day had progressed and our internal flight had been cancelled, Cheryl received another email. It informed us that our Air New Zealand flight to Perth had also been cancelled. So in good faith, we'd waited as instructed for our flights, only to discover within that 48-hour window before we were due to fly that both our flights that were to take us home were cancelled. This all seemed to take, you know, a whole day of what ifs and what's and where's and how's and new information and scrabbling around and ringing charter companies. And in no time, it was 10 o'clock at night. And I remember sitting on the end of the bed going, Lord, what happens now? but also having a, a strange sort of peace with the sort of language in my mind was something like, well, the adventure of resurrection is in your hands now because there's nothing I can do. Nothing. You may find this all a little bit cliched and trite, but as I sort of sat back down on the bed, I got this sense, pack your bags. It's 10 o'clock at night. So I said to Cheryl, I think we should pack our bags and I think we should go to the airport at five o'clock in the morning. I said, you know, I've got enough things going on in my life where I could make a case that we're essential travellers in Australia and the only people that could travel inside New Zealand were essential New Zealand travellers. I said, I think we should pack our bags ready to go in the morning. Let's go to the airport. Well, it's about the worst night's sleep Cheryl and I have ever had. It felt a lot like, I mean, I mean can you imagine we're in another country, albeit New Zealand, you know, just the cousins over the ditch, but another country and there's no conceivable imaginable human way out bad sleep up at five put the bags in the car drove to the airport not many people around walked to the Air New Zealand counter and I said 24 hours ago we received information that indicated that our internal and external flight from New Zealand had been cancelled. We're essential and required Australians. We might not be essential and required New Zealanders, but there's a lot of people in Australia uh, that I need to be back there for. What can you do for me? Uh, this was the posture of Air New Zealand. Absolutely nothing, they said. They said, we are not legally allowed to let you on the flight. And Cheryl and I looked at each other. We'd kind of stepped out in this mad sort of faith gesture and nothing. It's an interesting thing for those women, Mary and Mary, Mary Magdalene, the other Mary, going to that tomb that morning. What did I expect as I went to the airport that morning? Did I expect a resurrection? 
Do you know, honestly, not really. But it was then that one of the Air New Zealand staff said, well, we don't fly and aren't allowed to fly in New Zealand or even out of Christchurch. But if you go down there, uh, Virgin are flying today. I said, what? They said, well, Virgin have got a flight out of New Zealand today. I said, we were told no one was allowed to fly except from Christchurch. Oh, they said, that's only Air New Zealand. There was one flight leaving Christchurch that afternoon that had seats on it to Melbourne. What had seemed like death and a long-term death had suddenly flared into a glimmer of hope and the hope of a type of resurrection. I think what these women in this passage teach us is a number of simple things that I think God was teaching Cheryl and I in our situation. The first one is that when all hope seems gone, humanly speaking, panic is an obvious response. But don't panic and don't fear. Panic and fear don't produce anything. Don't panic, don't fear. Take a step in faith. A step that as Christians says, there's always hope of resurrection. It may not work out brilliantly. It may not work out the way you think it will. Our situation did. We went and bought a virgin ticket. And at 3.50 that afternoon, after going to the airport in faith at five in the morning, we flew out through a series of quarantine barriers. We never knew what was going to happen from Melbourne. From Melbourne, we didn't know if we were going to be allowed to buy a ticket. Then we didn't know if we were going to be allowed on the plane. And then when we got on the plane, I didn't know if they were going to let us into Perth. But we just kept taking the next step, trusting that whatever that step, wherever it led us, it would be a path of resurrection for us. Don't panic. Take the step. And then trust in that word of reassurance. The word that says, go and pack your bags. Go to the tomb. Go and see what happens when you get there. And then we see in this passage that twice the people are told not to be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. The antidote to fear is always thankfulness. Give thanks. This is the path of resurrection as we interpret our life today. Be thankful. Don't panic. Take a step. Trust in the word of reassurance. Don't be afraid. Be thankful. And then we find the disciples and these women experiencing the power of resurrection and kind of that personal little piece of good news that's usually tailor-made not for me and not for him it's often pearls before swine to others but just tailor-made for you that little voice that says I'm here I know 
and I'm bringing my kingdom right now in your life where you are as you watch this in your family, with your child, with your health, with your finances, with your anxiety. I'm here. I'm the light of the world and I'm bringing my rule and my reign, my celebration of new life just where I am. So testify to God's goodness. Well, happy Easter. He is risen. He's risen indeed. And we're so overjoyed to be back with you. God bless you as we uh, take this journey together, the next step in faith, resurrection faith well. Amen.